Hey, listeners, I am incredibly excited to introduce my guest today. I have Alexander Bigby, the founder and executive director of Flight. Flight is a nonprofit that aims to improve the overall levels of financial literacy among young adults from low and middle income backgrounds in New Orleans. So I'm here with Alexander Bigby from Flight. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, coming on. I really like the work that you're doing with Flight. I looked up the background of the organization, how it just sort of naturally evolved. So I was wondering if you could tell the quick story of how you started with uh, in-house work with sure. Propeller, and then sure. it sort of grew into yeah. what it is. Yeah, so I, mean, uh, I, uh, I moved to New Orleans uh, a little over two years ago, uh, straight from London. And uh, first, first thing I started doing was working as an in-house finance consultant for, for an organization called Propeller, uh, which is kind of well-known in the nonprofit community here, helping uh, accelerate small small businesses uh, in the city of New Orleans. Um, but I had some free time, so I uh, vo- volunteered my services to an organization called Liberty's Kitchen, um, which is a uh, essentially a kind of cooking program that helps uh, young you know young kids who come from you know troubled backgrounds have a criminal record and basically gets them to re-enter the workforce by uh, working in a kitchen so uh, yeah so I basically spoke to the, the executive director and he uh, he, he, uh, he has said that there was a bit of an issue with financial uh, I guess financial you know, literacy in yeah, Liberty's kitchen and he was basically becoming a savings and loan business uh, instead of just running a you know, a non-profit in a restaurant, um, so I would I went in there and did an hour a week uh, with people who are actually employees and the, the kids are on his programs, and uh, yeah, I just quickly realised it was the, you know that people had no basic understanding of money, uh, you know, of, of how savings, of, you know, basically just basic money management. So yeah, I, I then decided I wanted to set up a, a non-profit that would kind of deal with systemic financial illiteracy in, uh, in the city of New Orleans and maybe beyond. So I set up Flight initially as a coaching business where we, no, it, was just, it was just me going around and, and finding organizations that wanted to help their, their staff learn about you know, their, their finances. And I uh, began with the service industry just because it's a huge employer in the city. And uh, you know, there's, uh, it's 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 uh, this city is definitely one where you know, there's there's a lot of help needed for people who work in the industry, and by and large, they tend to be pretty bad with their money. Um, so I started working with bars and restaurants, and uh, you know, it was it was it was very rewarding work. Um, you know, I got to you know, learn a lot more about the kind of the mistakes that people make with their finances that I hadn't thought of or. Known before, and um, yeah, but it, it was just tricky. It was always kind of pulling teeth. Um, uh, a lot of these kinds of businesses, they don't want to invest in their employees. Um, there's a chicken and egg thing, you know. You say, "Well, why don't you put some money into them, and they might stay?" And they, you know, the management will say, "Well, we're just worried that if we put, you know, put any money into them, they'll leave, and it'll be a waste of money." So. There was there was a lot of that. Uh, it was kind of inefficient as well. It took a lot of time. You know, I was seeing people, people always these people in the service industry work very irregular hours, so I was having to kind of bounce around and kind of meet them where near where they could meet. So it was it was time consuming and, and just generally I felt like I was uh, I was getting to people kind of too late. 
And there's the people in their 30s who had already made like very, very big errors in their early 20s and were already in a really, really tough situation, whether they had unmanageable credit debt, you know, credit card debt, or, you know, really, and, and, and had probably destroyed their credit scores. They had no savings. They had no kind of budget. Just kind of, you know, the, 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 the things that a lot of people end up doing if they haven't been taught uh, just how to basically basically manage your money. So I then kind of took a step back and I, th- I said, well, you know, well what, who, who really needs this and what, which organizations have the most incentive to, to, to teach this? And I kind of hit on the college market as a, as a place for that um, because colleges you know, have, they have a very strong incentive to, uh, to educate their students about their finances because a lot of them end up dropping out because they've they've mishandled their money, and they've, well, they've gone broke. Um, so yeah, I basically decided to kind of retrench and then see if we to see if there was a way of working with colleges. And instead of just doing one-on-one coaching, see if there was any kind of software that was more efficient at delivering that kind of education. So that led me to the the National Financial Educators Council. Um, we have this great piece of software which we've licensed. Um, and then, yeah, and then on, on top of that, I decided, you know, they needed, students needed more than just the software. So we work with individual colleges to create incentives for those students to actually finish the software. Uh, and then on top of that, there's a, <clears throat> there's a mentor. Uh, we basically created a whole bunch of links with mentors in the city of New Orleans who are from financial institutions who you know, work with an individual student throughout their university career. Um, and be able to kind of be a kind of sounding board for them if they have any any kind of you know financial question or concern, they can just pick up the phone and speak to that person. So yeah, it's it's that, that's basically where we are now. Right now, that I guess we're we're in dialogue with three three different colleges about how this is going to work. And on the other on the other hand, we're also in dialogue with a bunch of funders about getting some money for it. So. That's that's kind of where flight is right now. <laughs> so your primary focus right now is empowering young students so that they don't make the mistakes that you've seen around the city. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, the first year of college is really where you start making all those mistakes uh, that, that kind of resound through the rest of your life. You know, that's when it's when you start getting credit cards. You have no adult supervision, so you're kind of on your own. And no one's not really there to tell you that's a bad idea, or you shouldn't maybe spend you know, ten thousand dollars on a high interest credit card without you know, planning on paying it back. Uh, yeah, it's 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 when you're kind of most vulnerable, and and you know, these academic institutions they're very bad at, at giving you preparing students for actual kind of life life scenarios involving money, and and that's kind of where we step in, where we kind of give them. That, that useful education um, because it's, you know it's it's pretty much the number one thing that everyone thinks about or worries about is is financial problems and it seems just completely crazy to me that no one's um, that, that there's no there's not really any meaningful attempt at educating people on that and of course and parents tend to be pretty bad at it and if you're from a, a lower socioeconomic background then parents tend to be worse at it or you know almost don't do it or have a detrimental effect. So it really kind of uh, kind of goes down generationally as well. Do you find that most of the problems you're dealing with are 
similar by student to student, or are, are they more individual problems that you have to dive deeper into in smaller port, uh, sections um, of the student pool? Well, with, with you know, students who are just starting their college, they probably just uh, hopefully we get them at a stage where they haven't even encountered a problem yet because they're really that you know that, that stage in their financial life where they you know they maybe got a uh, a checking account maybe a savings account with a few bucks in it um, but they haven't yet gotten a credit card you know they haven't thought about retirement planning they you know they haven't they haven't made any big mistakes yet um, so it, it but the, the the things I tend to see are pretty similar. It's you, you, later down later down the road, it's usually credit card debt plus a damaged credit score from missed payments on that card. That's very very typical kind of thing I've seen, and then just la a lack of any kind of plan for you know down the road. And it's a huge it's a huge problem because employers these days there are very few employers that are providing uh, you know kind of uh, pension opportunities for their for their staff they're kind of leaving that up to the individual now it's and it's a pretty strong trend across America where people are bouncing around companies more and people are doing more freelance work so there's just less of a, less of a pension pot going around for, for people who you know, have our generation and a lot of people just don't think about it which makes sense because it feels so far away but you know it's 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 a big deal to suddenly Find yourself retired, or if you get some kind of serious injury and can't work anymore, and you're basically stuck. Yeah, uh, it's it's so, difficult. Oh, yeah, as I say, yes, it's difficult to tell a young person that they are mortal, that they're going to die one day, and that they have to think mm -hmm. about these major decisions. Because when they're eighteen or nineteen years old, obviously nothing in the world could possibly go wrong, and they're yeah. invincible. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you feel immortal when you're when you're eighteen. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah. Do you feel that the difference between this organization and others that maybe teach similar uh, programs that you've even been involved with yourself is that you're taking more of a proactive, uh, you're taking more of a proactive approach? Yeah. I, I know you mentioned that you're going after students before the problems have existed. That sounds like a very proactive approach to create like this young generation of a workforce that does not have that gets to graduate college um, mm -hmm. out of a, a sinkhole that's trapped many of their older peers. Yeah, I mean that that would be the dream uh, is to is to have a you know a whole generation of college students who leave college knowing how to manage their finances. Um, you know, I think what we're what we're doing in in, in Orleans is we're targeting we're, we're 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 going for the most at risk populations of students. So we're we're working we're looking at the three historically black colleges: Xavier, uh, Delgado, uh, University of New Orleans. Um, yeah, just uh, because of the, the, they tend to have very high uh, dropout rates, uh, especially in freshman year, um, and especially in their male student populations. Um, so that's kind of the focus for us right now is really you know, getting to those kids who are the most likely to, to leave college, and usually for financial reasons. Um, but obviously, we'd like to roll it out to more and more people because every, everyone I speak to about this, they, they always go, oh, I wish I had that when I was at Tulane or... Loyola or whatever, um, but you know the fact of the matter is that if you're going to Tulane or Loyola, you're 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 more than likely to have a pretty good safety net underneath you if you make a mistake. Whereas a lot of these kids at HBCs, they won't have that kind of safety net at all. So. Yeah. Do you find that these students, a lot of them, speaking of lack of safety, a lot of them are first generation college students. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The the the, the vast majority of them will will be first generation college students, and they'll be on some kind of financial aid as well. So you know, they're they're receiving a bunch of money that they that they've not had to handle before. Um, they're taking on debt. Um, you know, they're they're not being supervised by a parent. Uh, it's it's all you know a kind of really really uh, dangerous combination of things together that um, just lead to. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the time lead to kind of personal finance issues um, because there's just you know there's no there's, there's just no education around what to do at that point in your life with money, and you know uh, a lot of students do what you know what, what, what they would do in their you know a nineteen year old and just spend it on on things. Yeah, and it sounds like the demand is not only there, but it's um, enthusiastically there that people are welcoming yeah. you there, um, into their universities to teach this program. So I'm curious, if, if this is a need, if it's giving the community a benefit, and if it's relatively affordable, what obstacles are you currently facing? So I'd say that the difficulty is, I mean, you know, there's just communication with the colleges, and, and you know, we, we've met with with Xavier and I'm currently kind of speaking with two other colleges, but you know, it's just, it's just that kind of getting them to fully commit and, you know, to work out the kind of the kinks and how it's going to work. Cause I think each college is going to have a slightly different set of requirements. So that the, 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 the challenges are just, uh, you know, when you have a very, you're, you're working with the head of enrollment in each college, they're very busy people and it's just kind of keeping at it. And, um, you know, making sure that, that you know, even though they're really interested, they want it. You just got to be very persistent. Um, the, the easier part was just getting was you know getting getting hold of the, the software and checking it out and you know making sure it was fit for purpose, and then building up this network of professionals. That's that's pretty straightforward. But it took a long. I mean, I guess I think it took it took a year and a half to get to the point where we decided to kind of focus on on the college market, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's tricky. Uh, you know, organizations, uh, big you know, college, big colleges are quite kind of. They can be pretty cumbersome organizations. Some of them are resistant to change, but they all acknowledge that that they're not doing enough to help their students understand their finances, um, or what they have been doing in the past is just being done in the wrong way. Um, and I think this is a kind of new 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 approach that actually will work. And, and have a you know have a kind of meaningful impact on these on these students' lives. And um, these, so yeah, that's that's the main obstacle. And these programs, they would be requirements for incoming freshmen. They they would essentially be their one on one one on one course that they get credits for. Yeah, we'd like that to be the case. I mean, the college may not want want that. It would. Um, I think what we would do is basically for the for this early kind of I guess kind of trial stage, we'd have um, you know, we'd basically kind of. It would be offered to male freshman students first, um, and then the incentive that we would create would hopefully be strong enough for them to elect into doing it. Um, the, another thing that I mean, one of the things we also give the colleges, which they quite like, is a lot of data around, you know, who's taken it, how long it's taken them to, to take it. We'll do surveys before and after they've they've done the software and, and spoken with a mentor, um, just to kind of quantify. Not just that the you know, the, the retention rate is improving unless people are dropping out, which is our main metric that we're measuring success by. But then also we're going to provide a whole bunch of ancillary data around kind of 
personal well-being, financial readiness, um, just you know things around how this this has actually really genuinely helped a student uh, feel like they've they're prepared for the wider world because uh, and prepared for the rest of their time at college. So, um, one, yeah. Oh, one of your key indicators then is going to be retention rate at the university itself. Yeah. Essentially proving yes. that if they're knowledgeable in finances, then it'll be easier for these students to deal with stresses the university. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's one of the main the main metrics for us is, is student retention by by year. Um, you know, one of the colleges we're speaking to was lo loses about twenty two million dollars a year on freshman dropouts, which is not not a you know, <laughs> it's not, not a small sum of money. No. It's pretty. It's not inconsequential. So, and then the majority of those people who left or transferred cited finances as one of the main issues of doing it. So, you know, if we can even get a, a small percentage of that 22 million to to stay, you know, the whole thing's paid. Even one student basically pays for it, you know, the whole program. So it's uh, it's a kind of a no-brainer on, on, in my view, but, uh, you know, some, sometimes you just got to be very persistent. So well, It seems like you know, it's we, a victory all the way around. I mean, if, if, your, if your obstacle is just keeping one student there, and it's a more than a break even for you, uh, your presence. It's obviously an, e uh, an easy hurdle for you to cross and a clear victory for you. And then the college is also retaining students and collecting more tuition, so it's an obvious win for them. And it seems like it's yeah. it seems like it's a really wonderful program, and that it creates one of those unique wins all the way around for everyone, including the students. That's exactly it. I mean, everyone everyone you know gets something out of this, um, and you know it, it's for me it's a no it's a no brainer, but. Uh, Sometimes you just got to be very, very persistent, and uh, and you know, it's uh, it, it, it'll it'll we'll, we'll get there. So we'll in, your, get there. in your ideal world, obviously this continues growing. You get all the universities in New Orleans. Do you, for one, expand beyond New Orleans, and two, what's the follow-up process like? I know you said you want to make uh, follow them year to year. I'm, I I know the yeah. dropout rate. So the um. So that's, that's twofold. So the, the yes, absolutely. You know, once I'd love to get every university in the city on board, but absolutely, we if it's a big success and people like it, then you know, I can hire hire more people and uh, and get it to, to go to more colleges around the country. That would be that would be the dream. Um, but that's you know, that's my sort of that's the five year plan. Uh, I think the the next twelve months is get three three colleges on board. Um, and you know, the other side of it, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, we'll, we'll have to see. <laughs> so you obviously came from a very unique background. Uh, you, you, have a, you have a master's in English literature, you have a certificate in banking, and you worked mm -hmm. as an investment banker at Barclays. Yeah. Now you are operating a nonprofit teaching financial literacy to students in New Orleans and working at in-house for Propeller. I'm wondering... How did these two worlds meet in the first place, I guess, and why New Orleans, and how happy are good, you to make that transition out of investment banking? <laughs> um, I, so I, I, you know, I, did, I was a big art student at college. Uh, I'd never really imagined going into finance, but I did, in, in my summers, do, I, I chose to do internships at banks just because I, didn't, I knew I didn't want to be an accountant, uh, and I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. And I mean, L London is a very heavily service-driven uh, city. You know, a lot of people, most of my friends back there are in some kind of 
financial or legal or accounting job. It, it's just that those are the big employers and that's what you tend to do. Um, so, yeah, so I basically did a lot of uh, kind of financial services internships in my, during the summer um, just as a kind of, you know, uh, as, a, as a hedge. I was, wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I, part of me really wanted to go into the film industry. Um, but uh, it was just, you know, the banking was the one that required the least number of exams to work in as a career. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I did that. And then once I graduated, it was, of course, perfect timing because it was the middle of the, the, the recession, which is like the best time to, to be looking for a job. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. It was great. And then, you know, I, 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 I remember I was working in Edinburgh uh, doing some kind of some kind of very clerical job for an asset manager after I graduated and going literally going into work and then I'd go home and do job applications until one in the morning and then go back home, do job applications and then that was pretty much my life for a couple of weeks. And then, yeah, I found out about one at Barclays um, from a, you know, an acquaintance actually. She was, I was actually out, out um, you know, uh, on an evening out and I bumped into her and she told me about it. And so I applied the next day and, you know, there, there, was, a, there was a math test. I, I wasn't bad at math, but I had to definitely brush up on, on my you know, percentages and a few bits and pieces just to, to do that. And she then uh, there was a phone interview and then there was a whole day where you went to their offices and it was very stressful. You know, you're kind of surrounded by people you're competing with and, um, you know, you go you do all these mock interviews, you do interviews, and then you have these mock like you know, group sessions where you're being invigilated, and then another maths test and all this stuff. Yeah, and then I got a call at the end of the day, and they said they they offered me a job. So, um, and that was a two year graduate program. So you're basically paid a full salary. You ro- you rotate on two teams, and then you're also given kind of a whole bunch of education during that process. You're with a group of graduates, and and then at the end of that two years, you you usually get offered some kind of full time job. But you're still essentially working full time. There's just little days out where you go and you know have some kind of education with someone. So or somebody comes in and teaches you about this aspect of banking or this aspect of relationship management or whatever it is. So yeah, uh, it was um, yeah, it was, it was it was great. I mean, I'm really. I, I don't regret it at all. It was it was very initially. I was totally out of my comfort zone. You know, a lot of other people in that program had done degrees in economics, degrees in finance, and they were really into it. And I, you know, I initially was like, have I really made the right decision? Is this is this right for me? But actually, you know, once once you kind of wrap your head around uh, the finances side of things, and then just you know, you don't have to be particularly numbers oriented. Uh, I realized it was all about. Uh, relationships and you know being smart in the office about you know what you do the work you choose there was a lot of politics really there was more politics than actually being good at your job to be honest (laughs) (laughs) um and then you know i'm and how i ended up in new orleans was just i uh i was visiting a friend of mine as part of a road trip from new york to here to here and back again uh in uh august and september of 2016 and I remember you know, arriving here in September uh, for a few days and just so it was one of those people, you know, it happens to a lot of people who just got here and said, oh, this is, this is actually fantastic. I love this place. And, 
you know, I had, I had a good four days, but it wasn't it wasn't anything amazing. Um, but it was still, you know, it just it left me very hungry from for, to just to learn more about it. And so I got back to England. I then kind of sort of was at my, sitting at my desk, kind of thinking about New Orleans, like <laughs> sort of googling different organisations. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I I'd done some social enterprise stuff at Barclays. Um, we were doing some kind of competition where we were, you know, trying to organise a competition for social entrepreneurs, and I was organising that. So I, I had I was aware of what they were and how great they were. Um, and then, you know, and as I kind of Googled social entrepreneurship in New Orleans and Propeller came up and read, read a lot about them. They had great feedback and all this stuff. So I then, um, you know, I got uh, got in touch with them when I was still at Barclays and, and they said, hey, you know, I was like with Rob, Rob Lauka, who's now the, the head of entrepreneurship at the Lepage Center. Um, he's a great guy. We spoke a bunch of times and they mentioned the Social Venture Fund, which I now I'm part of the management team of, which is this uh, loan fund for, most of us for, uh, for social enterprises that are minority owned in the city. And I was really interested in that. I, I, I did a lot of debt stuff with that uh, with, at the investment bank, so I knew debt pretty well. And so we, you know, he, get, he sent me over a lot of information about it. I thought it was a really cool idea, uh, and I really wanted to kind of work with Propeller on that. And so when I came in, they. Uh, they basically, um, you know, they had uh, they, they, they were they needed a financial consultant. They already had six financial consultants. Um, you were kind of part. Of, they would they would kind of lean on for, for work. And it just so happened that yeah, they when when they got me in, that uh, I was more available than the others were. So very quickly, they just dropped all the other financial consultants and just said came to me with a contract and said, hey. You know, uh, <laughs> would you like to be the in-house guy? Like you seem to be, you know, the ventures seem to like you. Uh, you know, we'd like you to work with all ventures and do workshops and seminars, and also help with the social venture fund. And I'd say, sure, you know, why not? So that kind of led to me being the kind of go-to guy for everything to do with, with numbers. <laughs> and uh, you've been that it. way for two, just a little, a little less than two years. That's that's amazing, and it's it's amazing how New Orleans just seems to have that effect on anyone all over the yeah, world. It, le it leaves us crazy. daydreaming. <laughs> I, I think deep down, everyone either wants to live in New Orleans or secretly daydreams about a better version of themselves that lives here. Yes, <laughs> I think that's there's there's some truth to that. I um, it's funny. It's a city that I daydreamed about before I'd even visited. Uh, I think it's there's a there's a quote. I think John Goodman said it and in a show called Treme where you said that this, this city lives in the collective imagination of the world and you kind of see what that means because everybody I know who hasn't been to New Orleans knows about it but they, you know, they have a kind of picture of it but that's, that's all they know uh, and then people who come here still you know, don't, don't still think about it and it kind of plays on their mind for a while afterwards so Certainly did with me, and it's been two of the best. I'd say two of the best years of my life. So I don't regret the move being here. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's it, you know it was great, kind of taking that leap to get out of a very corporate environment. I mean, working for a hundred and fifty thousand person strong bank is is about as corporate as it gets. Um, so it was nice to kind of leave that environment where you're no longer a number and really get out there and kind of manage, you know, just 
just have everything uh, be kind of my own boss on on all all the different fronts that I'm working on. So it's nice having that control and feeling like you're kind of the master of your own destiny. Oh, absolutely. If you have, I'm not saying you have to, but if you have the opportunity to wear jeans at noon on a Tuesday, then you are controlling your own <laughs> destiny. You oh, don't yeah. have to, but if you yeah. have the opportunity to. Yeah, or just shorts, you know. <laughs> absolutely. In, in the summertime, absolutely shorts. Well, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for giving me thank your time you. today. I hope our listeners check out Flight. Thank you again, Alex Bigby. I really am excited to see what your organization does with the universities around New Orleans. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks very much for the time and uh, enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Hey, listeners, just wanted to take a moment and thank you so much for listening to our show. Really, thank you so much. Your support truly means the world. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review. And if you're not already subscribed, you can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. 